This is Global Tennessee, news analysis and commentary from the Tennessee World Affairs Council in Nashville. Global Tennessee is produced in association with the Center for International Business at Belmont University and the International Business Council of the Nashville Area Chamber of Commerce. The World Affairs Council is a nonpartisan, nonprofit educational association, and the views expressed on Global Tennessee are those of the participants. Welcome to the June 23rd edition of the Tennessee World Affairs Council's Global News Review. I'm Patrick Ryan. And I'm Dick Bowers. Today we're going to talk about the top five topics in the news from the past week. But first, let me talk a little bit about the Tennessee World Affairs Council. As you know, we're a nonprofit, nonpartisan educational group. We're also a membership organization, and that's how we uh, keep our, uh, our doors open is uh, through the contributions of members, uh, gifts, and the just fact of uh, being a member. So we encourage you to take a look at tnwac.org and become a member of the World Affairs Council. There's a link to a page with some benefits uh, that uh, come your way with uh, with a membership, as well as the world famous Tennessee World Affairs Council coffee mug. So Ooh. consider, Ooh. Dick, do you have a mug, Dick? <laughs> I do have one. <laughs> I actually use it, but I put tea in it. So. Uh, okay. A tea mug. <laughs> tea, mug. Uh, tea mug. So uh, take a look at the Tennessee World Affairs Council website at tnwac.org and uh, please uh, join the World Affairs Council so we can keep Ambassador Bowers uh, in tea. Um, <laughs> Dick, what are we going to do today? Well, we got uh, five interesting topics. We're going to start off with the COVID-19 update and what's going on with that because uh, the virus is not going away even so some people seem to be acting like it might be. Second, we're gonna talk about the book. And the book is of course, The Room Where It Happened by John Bolton. They sort of tell all about his time with President Trump in the White House. And third, we're gonna to go to talk about the finish of the start. Kind of a tricky title, but basically it's the future of nuclear arms control. Fourth, we're talking about the finish of the love affairs. So Pyongyang, North Korea is acting up. It's not doing what uh, they were supposed to do. And we'll see what's going on over there. And finally, the uh, finish of American deterrence in Europe, the troop reductions in Germany, our problems with NATO and what's happening over there in Europe. So Pat, the, we got first, we went to the quiz, right? Yes, sir. So, uh I'll, I'll, I'll take the quiz. Yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, the What in the World weekly quiz, and just a reminder, every Monday at 10 a.m., the uh, quiz comes out in a newsletter and posted to our website. So if you subscribe to the tnwac.org newsletter, uh, you'll get this uh, every Monday morning in your inbox, 10 questions on what's going on in the news. And in our news review, we pick one of the questions and uh, put it to uh, your consideration uh, up front here. And at the end of our show, we'll, uh, we'll have the answer. So the uh, United States and Russia opened talks in Vienna on June 22nd on the extension of this last remaining treaty covering nuclear arms. It expires in February, but can be extended for five years with mutual agreement. Is it A, JCPOA, B, New Start, C, Start 2, or D, INF? Again, subscribe to the TNWAC newsletter on our website to get uh, the full quiz uh, every Monday. Uh, with that, let's uh, jump to our first topic, our COVID update, uh, the global uh, snapshot of what's going on. Uh, as you can see, the, uh, uh, the clock ticks on and 
and uh, there's still a, a significant problem worldwide with the spread of the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, cases are up uh, worldwide from 8.1 uh, million cases to 9.2. Uh, that's a million, uh, over a, a million cases in just one week. And the, uh, the death toll mounts, uh, it's gone up from uh, 440,000 to 475,000 again in, uh, in just one week. And the cases in the United States uh, are up from 2.1 uh, million uh, cases to 2.3 million. So uh, that's roughly one quarter of the global cases uh, for four to 5% of the global population. And the death toll uh, as well continues to mount. It's over the 120,000 uh, uh, mark, 122,747 uh, Americans who have died as a result of COVID-19 infections uh, as of June 23rd. Dick, you want to talk a little bit about uh, well, a couple, just, couple of snapshots of what's going on around the world in the COVID let, let category? Let me give you a quote, a quote from the guy in the picture on the left, Boris Johnson, Prime Minister of the UK. And he says, quote, today we can say that our long national hibernation is beginning to come to an end. And they are changing some of the matrices that they use. For example, they have been using a two meter, which is roughly a little, a little over six feet, uh, social distancing rule, but as of the 4th of July, they're going to be able to ramp it down, they say, to a meter plus. Uh, and they're opening up most leisure facilities and tourist attractions, and they're going to reopen in, in shortly. Or on the 4th of July, I don't know why they picked the 4th of July, I guess maybe because it's... Uh, <laughs> It probably wasn't on a Saturday, of right? <laughs> <laughs> but tourist attractions will reopen, outdoor gyms, playgrounds, cinemas, museums, galleries, theater parks, all that kind of stuff. Close proximity venues, such as nightclubs and big play areas and indoor gyms, uh, will remain closed for now in the UK. So, th so they're going to open the pubs, but uh, I think uh, Bojo said specifically, "Don't get too excited." Uh, in the pubs there, so what and, you, could... uh, you know, we we have uh, we have a um, global national with Carl Dean show coming up on July seventh with the Lord Mayor of Belfast, and yeah. today today we run a Zoom conference with um, Nashville and and Belfast sister cities folks, and they were talking about relaxing the uh, the distancing and so forth, uh, but they uh, uh, remarked that they did see. Uh, an image which had gone viral the past couple of days of uh, the Kid Rock yeah, downtown. Uh, downtown in Nashville, yeah. packed in. Uh, I, I told them that that resulted in a suspension of the liquor license for five days. Well, you know, they posted that picture on, uh, on Facebook and a number of people re uh, responded and said, oh, that's an old picture. That's not, that's not last night, but it was last night. Yeah. So some of, some of these places are getting zapped. I don't know how big the fines are, but the uh, health officials are out there saying, hey, you, you can't do what you're doing. So we'll see what happens. Well, the British there's are... Also, uh, there's a big uh, change going on in Saudi Arabia, right? You want to tell us yeah, about that? Yeah, well, let's, let's shift to Saudi Arabia. Uh, we have coming up in um, a couple of weeks, the end of, uh, the end of July, July 28th, a, um, a pilgrimage in Saudi Arabia known as uh, the Hajj, uh, and that uh, it runs from July 28th to August uh, 2nd. It's, uh, it's a religious pilgrimage, uh, one of the uh, five pillars of uh, uh, Islam. the Islamic faith, 
that involves uh, all Muslims from around the world at least once in their life are expected to go to Mecca to perform the pilgrimage. Uh, it's a sacred rite, and not only that, it's a major source of income uh, for the Saudi economy and the, the prestige of the, the monarchy. Uh, so right now with the uh, pandemic impacting economic activity in the kingdom and a double whammy of uh, oil prices being down, uh, their main source of income, uh, taking a hit on the, the Hajj uh, is, is going to be uh, significant. How many, how many people traditionally make that Hajj every year? Pat, you know? Well, it's, it's over 2 million a year, and that wow. includes um, pilgrims who come from within Saudi Arabia, both Saudis and uh, uh, other country nationals who live in the kingdom. But and, then, and if, if I'm correct, don't they all have to funnel into a particular area in the Kaaba and go around it and things of that sort? So social distance is almost impossible, isn't it? Uh, yeah, we slipped our slide there. I don't, oh, there I don't know. If, okay. Yeah, down down in the one on the left there. Left yeah. Center. So uh, the Hajj is, is a pilgrimage uh, to, to uh, Mecca in Saudi Arabia, and you can see circled on the map uh, the area where Mecca is. And, and that, uh, over the years, I mean, this is not a, a new uh, religious observance. This has yeah. been, been going on for centuries. And the port of Jeddah near Mecca was always the entry point for pilgrims. They would come in by ship, uh, thousands and hundreds of thousands of them. Uh, but with the advent of air travel, uh, they are now... Uh, well over 2 million every year. People fly in. Uh, the airport's been expanded. There's been uh, incredible yeah. uh, adjustments to the infrastructure. You can see the uh, the Grand Mosque of Mecca uh, in the uh, the central picture and then the, the uh, uh, panorama up top. Uh, and the Kaaba, the, the black, uh, the small uh, building, which which is the uh, center really of, uh, of the Islamic faith when uh, when Muslims perform their prayers every day, they face towards Mecca and uh, that structure there, the Kaaba. Um, you can see some other pictures there of, of pilgrims uh, lining up. So as, as you mentioned, Dick, this is not uh, go to one place one time. This is uh, over the course of those six days, uh, the pilgrims travel a route uh, from Mecca through a series of uh, places each day where they have specific religious uh, observances. So uh, can you imagine, uh, you know, I've, I've heard of up to 3 million on, in some years. Uh, oh. Last last year, uh, the Hajj was uh, uh, over 2 million uh, pilgrims. So, so you so, know what they're going to do? I mean, are they going to allow a few people to show up? Or well, this, nobody, this, year, or? this year will be very limited. They're limiting it to uh, Saudi citizens and third country nationals who reside uh, within the kingdom. Wow. Uh, so that, uh, that so will be So if you're a poor Indonesian Muslim who is now 70 years old and you've saved your life to go on your Hajj, you're out of luck. Right? Wait till next year. Yeah. Oh, okay. And, uh, you know, there's, there's restrictions, uh, quotas by country and, you know, occasionally there's been flare ups with uh, between Saudi Arabia and Iran on, on pilgrims. Uh, right. And so forth. So, um, so we'll we'll see what happens. Okay, uh, on we march to um, topic two. Topic two, which uh, is the book. Well, I have not read the book. Have you read the book? Uh, I have not read the book, and I probably won't buy the book. <laughs> well, I I'm sort of probably won't buy it either because I think somebody will undoubtedly send it to me. So we'll, <laughs> we'll figure it out from there. But there are bootleg copies that are out. I mean, first of all, the, the question was, could it be published or not? 
and the Trump administration went to the courts and said this book contains classified material and it hasn't been cleared uh, by the powers that be within the government and therefore it should not be published. And the administration lost that legal battle. So the book is coming out today as we speak, I believe, on Tuesday, right? Yep, it's uh, it's out as of midnight uh, this morning, and, midnight, and the book we're talking about is is called uh, "The Room Where It Happened" by John Bolton. Um, and that's a that's a little play on words from Hamilton, where they have one of the one of the great songs, "The Room Where It Happened," when the deals were made and things were decided. So it's a tricky title. Uh, do you know John Bolton, Pat? I have not met uh, Mr. Bolton. Well, I've met him, and I uh, think the most I can say about John Bolton is. Probably staying away from him is a good thing. He is, <laughs> he is a, an opinionated individual and I'm kind of hard to, to deal with, but he has had a long career and staying power within the upper ranks of those doing diplomacy for the United States. I mean, you know, this, your slide up there, you've got some interesting pictures with George W. Bush and Condi Rice, right? And then yeah, I think that's right, when he was, uh, he was named UN ambassador. Okay. Uh, from the United States. And I on think the that, right up in the I think that, got some uh, Russians. I think that when he was appointed US, UN ambassador, wasn't that a um, uh, recess appointment? Recess appointment because yeah. they, they couldn't Senate get enough. Senate would not confirm him. Right, right. So well, the you're, Senate you're right. was not he's, in session. He he's been around. Him. There he is with uh, Secretary of Defense Dick Rumsfeld. Um, yeah, on the with, upper right uh, and down meeting, below is with meeting Xi with some Trump, Russians. Right? Yeah, and uh, I think the uh, the couple of things mentioned in the book. One one of them was that meeting with uh, President Xi Jinping of China. Uh, one of the allegations in the book is that uh, President Trump uh, asked uh, Xi Jinping for uh, support in his election bid by um, agreeing to certain trade terms. And we're we're not going to litigate the the book, but uh, it does point to. Uh, again, Dick, some of the uh, the problems that we have in international relations with our partners around the world who find that some of these stories, especially, you know, like you said, uh, this guy's been around a while, and while not everybody uh, uh, likes his style, um, most people who know him say that he's a truth teller. So yeah. we uh, we have a problem with uh, around the world with our, the perception of, sure, uh, of what's, ha what's happening in our government. And, and there are kind of at least two controversial issues you're going on. One is why did the wait for the book to come out and he didn't testify in the impeachment trial? Because he has said on the follow-up to push the book that uh, they could have used this in the impeachment trial and they could have used that. But he specifically declined to testify uh, unless he was subpoenaed and waited until the Senate uh, got the articles of impeachment from the House and at that point, of course, the Republicans were not going to summon him, so he didn't didn't testify. The other thing that I think is uh, the the legal aspects of this is is out there quite a bit, and um, Trump administration will go full bore back at him, saying this is a lot of hearsay and nonsense, as well as the issue of is there or not any classified material. And I heard the president say something, you know. Everything I say to somebody is should be classified. Presidential co conversations are all classified. So uh, we'll see what happens. But um, I, I don't think an impartial uh, 
classifier would would come to that conclusion. But you're right. This uh, this remains a legal problem. It's it's not over. Over the weekend, there was a judge who ruled that the that the book could be released, and it was. Uh, uh, kind of the uh, the horse already out of the barn. The books were distributed around the country. They hadn't been officially released to bookstores, uh, but uh, hundreds of journalists had copies, and and uh, they were going around on the internet in PDF files. Yeah, I think so, the, the the press are pulling stuff out. I mean, they they've taken out, for example, that the uh, Bolton says that. Uh, According to Bolton, Trump told Xi he has no problem with what he's doing with the concentration camps in the western part of China involved right. with the Uyghurs, uh, which is kind of, and then he said something about Venezuela and how it might be really cool if we went down there and that Venezuela was really part of the U.S. and he was ready to invade when the time came. So there's he a lot the, of he, things uh, that are going to throw out uh, he asked his advisors why we have troops in Iraq and Afghanistan and not Venezuela. Um, I, I yeah. think one of the, the um, supposedly comical observations was uh, Trump questioning whether Finland was part of Russia and he was surprised that the United Kingdom had nuclear weapons. So yep. uh, I'll, I'll wait to hear more now that the book is out today. I suspect there'll be more of those sorts of uh, jabs at uh, President Trump. And uh, and maybe some more embarrassing disclosures about yeah you know Fried Sakaria and I both kind of think is a really uh, good guy and has good things to say about it saying you know he doesn't really want to comment on the book but one thing that comes clear is the the issue of character on the part of the president and what kind of character that man in the White House has and, and you know, is he fit for leadership in the United States so yeah. that's going to be discussed for quite some time I think. So that's, uh, that's the book, um, and we will wait to hear more about it. Uh, the legal consequences for Mr. Bolton, whether he has to forfeit uh, profits or possibly face a criminal uh, trial for releasing classified material, or if it, uh, if it does well on the book stands. I think it, it probably will. It's certainly got enough, um, enough push. It, it seems that President Trump, when insiders write these books, he assists in the promotion of them by tweeting about them. Greg, <laughs> instead of just ignoring it and saying, you know, that's a bunch of nonsense. I, I'm not going to waste my time. Or, or not even commenting he, at he all. He stokes the fire. <laughs> you know, as people, oh, does it really say that? Well, let me, yeah, I better go check that out. See what's yeah. going on. Yeah. yeah, he's got dozens of tweets about Bolton and about the book. Well, and, so. he, and he's got, you know, how many people in his uh, former cabinet have, have come out with these books, including you know, Mattis and various others. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. Okay, on to uh, topic three, the finish of the start, the future of U.S. Uh, or the future of nuclear arms control that uh, the United States and Russia are involved in the new start. And there's a, there's a hint on your question of the week. Um, New Start is uh, is the treaty that we're talking about. Don't give up the answer, now come on. And let's see, we, <laughs> let's see if we can uh, manipulate the slides properly here this time. You know, Pat, uh, I, you're to be congratulated for coming up with this head the headline topic. You know, the, the, you know, the finish of the start. I thought that was pretty kind of cool. Well, we're we're working on improving our game here. We're, you know, <laughs> We're not ready for Comedy Central, but uh, we've, we've got we've, we've got some uh, That's good. objectives out there. So, so there's the limits out there with New Start, huh? 
Yeah. Uh, well, the you know, New Start was an extension of arms control agreements that that uh, run back decades. The United States and the former Soviet Union sought to limit uh, the numbers of, of nuclear weapons in the world that were mostly aimed at one another. And there were a series of, uh, of treaties, the SALT, the Strategic Arms Limitation Treaty. Uh, then, then we began a series called START. Uh, so uh, there was the Strategic Arms Reduction Treaty. And there was an interim agreement, uh, the Treaty of Moscow, uh, which ran a couple of years. It was kind of a bridge from start to new start. So in 2011, the United States, uh, President Obama, and Ru the Russian Federation, uh, President Medvedev, who was uh, uh, jammed there in the middle of a couple of terms of Mr. Putin, um, they signed a, an agreement, the New Start uh, Agreement. And um, it provided uh, primarily for the reduction of, uh, uh, of warheads, uh, deployed missiles and bombers, deployed warheads and bombers, uh, deployed and non-deployed launchers. And you can see the numbers there. So what we're talking about is the triad. And both the United States and the Russian Federation uh, use a triad of nuclear strategic uh, weapon systems consisting of bombers, land-based intercontinental ballistic missiles, and submarine-launched ballistic missiles. And you can see some examples of, of some of those things there, a ballistic missile submarine. You were, a, you were a member of one leg of that triad, were you? Yes, yes, sir. I did a tour aboard the USS George C. Marshall. Uh, it's a mm -hmm. ballistic missile submarine. It carried the Poseidon uh, submarine-launched ballistic missiles. So I'm, I'm familiar with uh, how, the, how the mechanics of that works at the, uh, at the ground level or the underwater level, as it were. Um, and, and so I've, uh, I've had an interest in following what, uh, what the developments have been in this area of, uh, for some time. Uh, and it's, uh, it's interesting that uh, the new start, uh, which runs through February 2011, uh, can be extended simply by agreement of both sides. And why, the, uh, why wouldn't we want that to occur? Well, uh, it, it's interesting. First of all, uh, uh, President Putin uh, said that he would agree to an extension. And this is simply the leaders of both countries signing the extension. Yep. On, the, on the American side, there have been signals that uh, we want a new treaty, that we don't want to extend new start. And that uh, the primary reason is that we see a rising China uh, with a growing inventory uh, strategic weapons, um, also on bombers, land-based missiles, and they do have ballistic missile submarines, but their total numbers are nowhere near what the Russian Federation and the United States possesses. Yeah. So the, uh, the, the inclination of uh, the United States, uh, certain policymakers, is that we want to bring China in, uh, but China says, you know, forget about it. We're that's, that's between you and the Russians. We've got nothing to do with it, and we're, we're just not interested. Um, for Russia's part, Russia says China's not going to get in this, um, and Russia would like to see a new, new start extension. And, so, the French, and the French and the Brits, who also are nuclear powers, as well as Israel, although Israel doesn't talk about it, they're and, not involved in any of this activity. And right? uh, there are a couple of others, India, Pakistan. Back India and Pakistan out there, yeah. Um, but those, those are... 
And uh, the North Koreans, of course. Still that, that, yes, in North Koreans, we, we're, we're still waiting to see about their mating up of a hydrogen bomb on an ICBM. But yeah, you're right. There are other nuclear armed states in the world. Uh, but, but the they, numbers, I think, is the key, Pat. I mean, we're, we're hundreds and times more than these other countries have. For sure. The, the idea is uh, that the two large inventories uh, get brought down to a, a ceiling uh, that's manageable. And, and the reason this is important is uh, for strategic stability. The more weapons that are out there, uh, the more likely there, more there is for stuff could uh, happen. an accident or an inadvertent uh, launch. And you know, over time, you've probably heard of some of these events. Uh, one side or the other was falsely alerted that they were being fired upon yeah. and, uh, and were ready were, to uh, return fire. They were ready to retaliate. And we, you know, we fly these bombs around and we've had problems in the past, for example, with the, in Spain where one of the uh, airplane crashed, they dropped one of the bombs and it spread all over the field in Spain, the radioactivity everywhere. So accidents can happen. More there's, a, there's a hydrogen bomb off the coast of Georgia that they never found off Tybee Island. Yeah. So yeah, these and when in Arkansas they they had a missile that went rogue, right? It didn't blow up, but it was almost to the point where they had to evacuate the whole area and do sorts of things like that. So yeah, anyway. back back in the uh, middle '80s, the the right. Soviet Navy had a ballistic missile submarine off the coast of Bermuda. Uh, they had a fire in the missile compartment, and the submarine sank. Yeah. So there are, you know, a missile compartment full of uh, ICBMs on the bottom of the Atlantic. So yeah, we, you know, the, the, the more of these we have, the, the more dangerous a world it is. Uh, ideally, there would, would be no nuclear weapons. Uh, I don't think that's uh, achievable in, in the, the near future. But if we can limit the, uh, the numbers, and there's also an impact on the U.S. economy. Uh, we're about to enter into a period of developing the next generation of bombers and land-based missiles and, and submarine billions of uh, dollars. submarine ballistic missile carriers. And, and it's, it's uh, over the lifetime of those systems, it's in the trillions. Oh, so, yeah. um, you know, it's not just a one-year expense. It's uh, uh, spread that over 30, 40 years. So the, uh, the smaller number of uh, launchers that we have to have, uh, the better for both sides. So that's a new start. And um, we will see how the negotiations go. They're, they're meeting. Well, uh, I hope they just pick up the paper and sign the name and get on with it. And then they can start negotiating a new one that they have five years to do that in, right? I mean, right now we're running out of time. It's February when it expires? Next February. Um, February 2021, the 10th mm -hmm. anniversary of, uh, of the signing. Uh, I think that signing was in Prague uh, in, in 2011. Okay, so speak that's, that's the finish of the start. And how about the finish of love affairs? <laughs> uh, so how about, let me, let me give you some background here to start off with. So there was a summit in Singapore in June of 2018. And there we signed with the North Koreans a joint statement agreeing to security guarantees for North Korea, new peaceful relations, the denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula, recovery of soldiers remains from the Korean War and follow-up negotiations were to take place. About uh, six or eight months later in February of 2019 in Hanoi, the White House and the North Koreans were to meet and they announced a shortcut and that no agreement would be forthcoming. Trump later clarified this was due to North Korea's request to end all sanctions on North Korea, and the United States was not willing to do that. 
Uh, in September of 2018, the New York Times reported that North Korea is making nuclear fuel and building weapons as actively as ever. And also in September of 2018, Donald Trump says he has been in correspondence with North Korean leader Kim Jong-un, and they fell in love, quote, unquote, because of Kim's beautiful letters. But it looks like the love affair is not really going to stay for a while. No, um, the, uh, the summits, which uh, a lot of people, uh, even critics of President Trump generally, uh, gave him credit for trying to move the, uh, move the dime on this of, of uh, decades of uh, nothing happening between the two sides. And, you know, we had the, uh, uh, the multi-power uh, negotiations, the United States, South Korea, Japan, Russia, China, North Korea. Um, and, and we have a, a, a terrific uh, podcast with Ambassador Chris Hill on yeah. our podcast inventory. Uh, he was uh, a chief negotiator to that. So if uh, people want background on the, those negotiations, uh, take a look at our podcast. Well, we had, had the wonderful photo op of uh, Donald Trump stepping over into North Korea. That was, uh, a, yeah, that was another visit. It wasn't, uh, it, it wasn't ranked among the summits, but it was, that's, it was a, um, you know, just a handshake kind of propaganda thing. Kind of, you know, you, know it, you, you could put these down to confidence building measures, but in, in the two years since the Singapore summit, uh, we've got uh, nothing to show for it. As, as you mentioned, well, uh, North, the North, North Korea, Koreans are full steam ahead on developing their nuclear weapons capabilities as well as their delivery systems. I mean, that's it's one right. thing if they're sitting thousands and thousands of miles away from the United States and then have a bomb or two. It's another when they have the capability of mounting that weapon on an intercontinental ballistic missile and targeting Seattle or San Francisco. So. Right. And, and what, uh, what uh, analysts believe uh, the result was of, of these summits was the, the North Koreans improved their position vis-a-vis -vis the United States and, uh, and the rest of the world that, that wants to see a denuclearized Korean peninsula. Uh, yeah. Kim Jong-un gained uh, international stature by meeting on the stage with uh, Donald Trump. And uh, it, it did cause some relaxation of sanctions, not officially, but uh, in practice, uh, China and Russia saw an opportunity to uh, increase the economic uh, trade, uh, the flows with uh, North Korea as, as a result of what they, uh, what they called uh, lessened tensions between North Korea and the world. So the, uh, the summits, you know, history will be a judge, but right now uh, nothing to show for it in terms of denuclearization or North Korea. Uh, well, the North and the South are, are, are farther apart than they were, you know, a couple of months ago. In fact, when the North just blew up a joint liaison, liaison office that the South and the North had put right over the border in, in North Korean territory, but yeah. still very close to South Korea. And all of a sudden, the North Koreans have decided to destroy that facility because the South is doing stuff that it doesn't like, particularly somehow allowing its citizens to put propaganda leaflets on balloons and float those things up into North Korea among one of the many issues that they have. Yeah, that, uh, that seems to be a, 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 an ongoing annoyance to uh, the North Koreans, uh, but certainly there's, there's more to it than, than just that. Uh, I, I think, uh, you know, one, one of the things we don't look at very often is the inter-Korean talks and what's going on between yeah. North and South. Uh, they're trying to uh, 
they have a reunification minister in South Korea and they're, they're trying to take steps to reduce tensions and uh, confidence building measures. And uh, the liaison office that you talked about and uh, an economic zone in, in Kaesong uh, in North Korea, just across the demilitarized zone, uh, the 38th parallel, um, was uh, one of those signals of confidence building measures. So um, uh, last week uh, it was in the news that uh, North Korea uh, blew it up um, and they had been warned, they, they had warned the world that uh, South Korea was gonna pay a price for uh, not doing the things that uh, they were being called upon to do. Uh, and the sister of, of Kim Jong-un, uh, her name is Kim Yo-jong, uh, she was speculation that she's kind of making a power play move, right? Trying to move up the ladder and well, you know, uh, we, we uh, talked about uh, a month ago that Kim Jong-un had uh, fallen out of sight for an extended period of time. And there was rumor that he was in ill health. Uh, some even speculated that he might have passed. But as it turns out, he reappeared uh, and was back in the news. But during that uh, period where he was out of sight, uh, there was rumor that uh, his sister, uh, Kim Yo-jong, uh, was in position to become the, the new uh, supreme leader. Uh, so uh, the, uh, the fact that she was the one last week that put the warning out to South Korea about their uh, provocations and that they were going to pay a price, and then this uh, building was blown up. Um, so, so where does this where does this leave us? Is the United States in a better strategic position vis-a-vis -vis North Korea and South Korea than we were, you know, uh, three years ago, or or are we not? Uh, I don't think so. I think uh, I think we're back to a period where North Korea is uh, building nuclear <laughs> weapons, uh, building intercontinental uh, ballistic missiles, and and other weapon systems that can threaten their neighbors and and U.S. forces in the Western Pacific. Um, so if I, if I remember correctly, Pat, one of the, when President Trump, before he was president, after he won the election, he met with uh, President Obama. And one of the issues that they, they agreed that they talked about was the threat from the Koreas. And it's still yeah, that's, there. That's right. Obama, every president prior to Obama, this has been going on for a good Obama of told years. Trump that uh, North Korea was his uh, number one, number one se problem, security concern, uh, right? problem. Yeah, the, the thorniest uh, of thorny issues. So uh, it, it has analysts wondering why the North Koreans now are doing what they do. And uh, it, it boils down to three, uh, three, three issues that are up. And uh, a fellow named uh, Van Jackson, author of uh, On the Brink, uh, Trump, Kim, and the Threat of Nuclear yeah. War, says that uh, the North Koreans feel betrayed by Trump, that uh, he entered the summits and gave them um, a sense that they would secure uh, relief from economic sanctions, uh, but uh, have, have not yet uh, seen any of that. Uh, secondly, their, their economy is under great strain as a combination of uh, those trade restrictions, especially with China due to COVID-19 and the escalating uh, US campaign of uh, maximum sanctions, increasing the, um, the need for sanctions relief. And uh, the third reason that uh, that Van uh, Jackson gives is that uh, Kim Jong-un's sister is ongoing, undergoing a process of establishing her bona fides as a person of uh, authority and uh, needs to show strength and competence uh, to both elites and the militarist uh, elder generation in North Korea. So mm -hmm. it's still unclear if um, 
she's being groomed to be the next leader if uh, something befalls uh, the dear leader, Kim Jong-un. All, All right. right, Nick, on to- Can uh, we finish, finish to the finish? <laughs> Uh, and and the, we had the the finish in the uh, the book story too with uh, Finland uh, as not being part of Russia, but well, that's the, that's true. I, I digress. So let's finish with the finish. Um, finish of American deterrence in Europe. You write uh, troop reductions in Germany. So approved by Putin, blindsided by Germany, or blindsided Germany, not by Germany, and it was opposed by many officers, diplomats, and specialists. You know when I was uh, a, a practicing card-carrying diplomat. Uh, the process that the president and his advisors would lay out strategic visions of where we want to go in the world. And then the worker bees would start trying to flush this out. Uh, so if, if, for example, the White House wanted to reduce our troop presence in Europe, they would let people know that we want to vet this, study this, how do we best go about doing it? Do we want a unilateral reduction? Do we want to try to shift forces? What do we want to do? And then it was kind of bubbled up through the bottom and everything was distilled and everybody was on board when it finally got presented to the president. In this White House, the process appears to me to be the president has an idea. He tweets it and says, this is what we're going to do. And then everybody starts scrambling to try to figure out how do we do this? What do we do? You know. Ann Richardson, uh, who's the I guess, former senator from Texas, I, she was on one of the, I think it was uh, Amanpour and company, uh, and, and was basically being grilled about, you're, the, you're now our ambassador to NATO. Did this come as a surprise to you? And she didn't say yes, and she didn't say no, but the body language was <laughs> kind, of, kind of interesting. And uh, she ended up saying, well, we're, we're looking at where our troops are deployed and where they might better be deployed. But it's clear that the U.S. troop president is in Germany is in our best long-term interest. And to just unilaterally decide, pull our troops out, because most all of those that are there are in a position to support our foreign policy and military policy elsewhere, particularly in the Middle East and Afghanistan and to some extent in Africa. So, right. Yeah, you know, we we uh, we had this as one of our stories a couple of weeks ago, and we showed the map yeah. uh, more more detail than you can see here of the uh, uh, U.S. installations around Europe, and they're heavily uh, positioned in the United Kingdom with air force bases there, Milton Hall and and so forth. Uh, in Germany, uh, army forces on the ground, air force. Uh, wings at Ramstein, Northern Italy, uh, Aviano Air Base, uh, the American presence in Naples, the Sixth Fleet. Uh, we now have deployments in Poland and the Baltic states. Uh, so the uh, the U.S. military is uh, is present in Europe in in large numbers. You, you left out your Navy guys. You've got Italy and Spain and the U.K. And well, yeah, the, Greece, in, in, right? in Naples, that's uh, the the uh, yeah. the belly button for the Sixth Fleet. Yeah. Um, and, and we've got a uh, huge Air Force presence in Turkey, in Inchili. That's that's right. I, I left that one out. But, uh, you know, we were looking at the, during the Cold War of, uh, of troop level footprints in, in the hundreds of thousands. So we're, we're nowhere near what that was. There, there were post-Cold Cold War reductions yeah. down to the current levels. Uh, but this uh, is signaling 
both to uh, friends and foes uh, and also to war planners in, in the U.S. military that uh, we're in, we're in a, a, new, a new era. Uh, and you rightly mentioned that uh, the true presence in Germany uh, bolsters not just the defense of Europe from possibly an expansionist uh, Russia again, uh, which, you know, 10 years ago, we didn't think was, was uh, likely, but yep. we had to be prepared for it. But uh, you rightly say that uh, that presence is the jumping off point uh, for U.S. military operations in Afghanistan, Iraq, uh, the Persian Gulf, um, North Africa, throughout sub-Saharan Africa. The, uh, yeah. the commander, the U.S. commander who oversees U.S. operations in Africa is actually based in Germany. In Germany. So um, it, it sends a, a, a troubling signal from uh, the perspective of this analyst. And uh, the Germans, likewise, were, were rattled by this. They didn't see it coming and were not consulted, and uh, they're worried about it. Well, you know, many, many of these countries, if not all, I mean, the United States is either their best friend or certainly one of the most important friends that they have. And in international relations, just like friends that you've got uh, next door or around the block or you've known for a long time, trust is a, is a very important thing. Right. And you don't, you, it takes a long time to build trust and understanding and, and I can count on this guy and he understands kind of stuff. And to squander it by just let, throwing stuff out and all of a sudden, I know the Europeans are sitting there thinking, can we count on the United States? If something happened, would they live up to their NATO commitments you know, in Article 5 or not? You know, what would happen? And, and for a long time, the United States and its nuclear umbrella uh, was something that countries around the world could count on, especially like Japan and Germany, non-nuclear powers, uh, South Korea. and Non-nuclear non powers that we wanted them to remain non-nuclear powers. Exactly. But I would think that at least some people in those countries are beginning to think of, well, what is our long-term relationship with this country called the United States? And should we be positioning ourselves both militarily and economically and in terms of alliances so we have a different take on what's going to happen in the world? So it's a, it's a mess, put simply. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, well, and I don't know where it's going, Pat. I mean, you know, the, the answer is I think that the, the, uh, the, the more responsible international folks around Mr. Trump are scurrying around trying to say, hey, let's, let's, here's what we ought to do. Here's how it's going to work out. And I think it'll be one of these things that will just kind of go away and the troops will not be leaving. So we'll see. Well, you're 100% you're, uh, correct. And in, in fact, uh, the news peg this week was the fact that a group of Republican uh, lawmakers uh, urged President Trump in a letter to reconsider his decision uh, to cut the number of, uh, of troops. Uh, yeah. It was uh, six Republicans led by the uh, House Foreign Affairs Committee senior Republican, Michael McCall. Right. Uh, they, they talked about the footprint in Germany serving America's uh, strategic uh, interests. And then they outlined the same same sorts of things. Uh, that we've discussed here. Uh, they said that it was not time to take any action that might cause the Putin regime to question the credibility of the NATO deterrent or might lead our NATO allies and partners to doubt the U.S. commitment to our collective security. So uh, you're right, it's, um, it's worrying to both sides of the aisle. 
uh, maybe we'll, we'll finally get some. Well, I think with some of these things, the election coming up is going to either, if, if President Trump is reelected, then I think we're going to see more of this and it's going to be become even more unstable for a while at least. Uh, if he is not reelected, then I think you'll see a different kind of foreign policy being pushed in more going back to the status quo ante kind of activity. Okay. Uh, Time's Dick, up I, almost. That's, that's uh, time, time up for that. Uh, let's uh, take a look at the answer to our quiz since, since we gave it away in our conversation about uh, <laughs> uh, New Start. But uh, the question again was the U.S. and uh, Russia open talks this week, uh, extending uh, this last remaining treaty. And the answer was, uh, of course, a uh, new start. So, uh, so that's that. And um, we uh, invite everyone I'm, back to uh, join us next, next week. Next Tuesday, for right? We're going to have a special guest host, Breck Walker, a member of the uh, Tennessee World Affairs Council board. He's a uh, professor of the history of diplomacy. So he'll be a, a great addition to our ability to uh, comment and analyze events as, as best we can from our uh, perspectives in uh, yours in diplomacy and my background in uh, military intelligence. All right, Mr. Pat Ryan, Lieutenant Commander retired. See you Thank next you, week. Thank you, sir. It was uh, another Another great opportunity to get together and, and talk with you about what's going on in the news. And thanks to everybody for joining us. Uh, please, again, take a look at the- No, no questions out there this week, huh? No questions, a silent, silent majority in the, uh, okay. the wings there. We'll have to- We must have covered up. it so so well that they're just-, just There was, there was one comment. Our friend uh, Alan Ramsour commented about the fine on Kid Rock at, uh, at the Broadway Honky Tonk for packing it in there when, oh. we, when we were talking about COVID. Uh, you know, one of my places, the Crow's Nest, right near the Green Hills Kroger, they they got zapped. Evidently, their wait staff was not wearing masks, and they got okay. fired well, so we'll see. Well, thanks, Alan, for contributing that comment, and uh, come back next week with some more questions. Ambassador Dick Bowers, uh, thanks again. Uh, everyone, again, take a look at the tnwac.org website, where you can sign up for our newsletter and get the weekly quiz. You can also sign up to become a member or make a gift to the World Affairs Council. We are a tax-exempt IRS 501c3 organization. So um, uh, I don't know what that will do to your taxes, but it may do something. <laughs> In the old days, it was important. Yeah, I am, I'm many things, but I am not an accountant. All right. Thanks. We'll Thanks. see you. We'll see you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.